Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Does God have favorites? And of course, we know from the scriptures, which we should always quote, we know from the scriptures, God has no favorites. However, the scriptures also go on to say that anyone who is sincere in heart, and sincerely seeks God is acceptable to him. However, God does choose certain people and certain groups of people to perform special functions for him. And these functions are called vocations. We should never mix up the idea of vocation with salvation. They're two quite independent things. A vocation is a calling to do a particular work for God. For the salvation of ourselves, but more important, of others. A vocation is given by God freely. Being acceptable to God is essentially a disposition of the heart. Are we available to him so that we might fulfill his will and in so doing become holy, which is what God requires of all of us. Be holy as I, your God, am holy. In the case of a vocation, we're called to do something in addition to. Now, if we fail to do that which we are called to do, we will be punished for it. It's as simple as that. St. Paul himself says that much. If I do not preach as I've been commanded to preach, I will be punished. So, we can say that the vocation, in fact, is a responsibility. Now, God chose individuals such as Abraham. What did he choose him for? To be the, multi the father of a multitude. All those who believe in God would be the children of Abraham, because Abraham sets the example. Equally, God chose Abraham's son and his grandson. And God chose particular individuals who were descendants of Abraham, such as Moses and David. All of those looking forward to the one who was to come, Christ Jesus, who is the center of history and of the human experience. 
God also chose families. In particular, he chose the family of Abraham. And he chose the family of David. The purpose being to prepare for him who is to come, Christ Jesus, the center of history and of human experience. But all the others whom he did not choose were to find salvation only by attaching themselves to those whom God had chosen and given a vocation. So imagine this tiny group of people, the Israelites, in the midst of the vast world of unbelievers, God chose them. Does God have favorites? No. Anybody who is sincere of heart and wants to be saved, wants to know God, is acceptable to him. And so when God provided the means by which Solomon would build the temple, as we heard in the first reading, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, stretching his hands towards heaven. He said, If a foreigner, not belonging to your people, Israel, comes from a distant country for the sake of your name, for men will hear of your name and your mighty hand and outstretched arm, if he comes and prays in this temple, hear from heaven where your home is, and grant all the foreigner asks, so that all the peoples of the earth may come to know your name, and like your people Israel, revere you, and know that your name is given to the temple that I have built. Notice that all of this is being done for the sake of God's name, which for us as Christians, is the most holy name of Jesus, at which we bow our heads, or ought to. And what does King Solomon pray for? He says, you have chosen this people, Israel. You have chosen me as their king. You have permitted me to build in Jerusalem one temple to the glory of your name. Yet in this temple, let it not be just for us, but whoever comes from wherever, all the children of Adam, the poor banished children of Eve, from wherever they come, if they come to this place, let them know that your name is here and answer their prayer. So in this sense, and in this sense alone, we can say, as our Lord told the woman by the well, there is no salvation apart from through the Jews. No salvation without the Jews. It doesn't seem so harsh then, does it? If we understand that God had chosen the Jews, the Israelites, so that they may might be the means by which his salvation might go out throughout the world. Equally, there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. This is defined dogma, by the way. 
defined at three ecumenical councils. No salvation outside the Catholic Church. Defined dogmatically also by Pope Boniface VIII, the Council of Florence and the Council of Trent. How do we understand this? If anyone is saved, they are not saved because of the religion to which they belong. They saved because God has placed the means of salvation in the Catholic Church. And like the foreigners who came to Jerusalem, though they were not Jews, God has granted them, granted them salvation through the Catholic Church and nowhere else. We as Catholics, we have done nothing to deserve it. God has chosen us. And if we don't fulfill our responsibility, we are going to be punished. As the Jews who did not fulfill their responsibilities were punished. Our Lord said to the Pharisees, Your kingdom has been taken from you because you have proved to be unfaithful. It said that in the parable, remember the parable of the, of the um, murdering uh, husbandman, a man had rented his property to um, some husbandman, and he sent to collect the produce, and they refused to do it. They beat the servants. Eventually he said, I'll send my son. They will respect my son. And they said, hey, this is the heir. Let us kill him and take over his property. The Lord asked a question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? They said, he would come and he would destroy their city. Very well, says the Lord. You have been found wanting. Your kingdom has been taken. And the hand that wrote that on the wall of Belshazzar's um, feast sealed the king's fate on that night. When the Israelites were preparing for the Passover, what commandment were they given? Stay inside. Do not even look outside. Don't look outside. While the angel of death passed over Egypt, anyone who did look outside would perish. The same applies to us. If we are not concerned about the things of the Lord, we will perish. So then, God has established one church by which, through which, he offers salvation to all the nations. When our Lord ascended into heaven, he left the twelve behind, or the eleven, and said to them, wait until the promise of the Father comes. And so in those nine days, while the apostles were waiting, they replaced the one who had been chosen. He had a vocation. Judas was chosen. Wasn't he? He was as chosen as Peter was chosen, and John and James, and Matthew, and Simon and Jude, all of them. They were all chosen. Judas was chosen, and God 
chooses persons who have the best disposition to do what is necessary in God's plan. He chooses the persons who are best suited to do what is necessary in God's plan. Now it is necessary that Christ die. And so the Lord looked around and says, who is most fit to do this work? Judas. God chose, Christ chose him as an apostle. But as scripture says, he knew what was in his heart. He knew there was lack of sincerity in his heart. And worse, he knew that money, that tainted thing, money was his primary love. St. John describes Judas as a thief. He had charge of the common purse and would help himself to the contributions. He was a thief. And so he could go to the priest and say, how much would you give me for him? He, had, he held Christ in such contempt, he didn't ask for a price. Whatever you give me, I will take. What a contempt. Because money was his love. Money was his idol. Money was his God. Profit was his purpose. And so the Lord ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, the church grows and spreads throughout the world rapidly. The church was persecuted. We should not be surprised. Those who follow God, those who sincerely love God, will be persecuted. No doubt about it. Scripture says so. St. Peter says, do not be surprised that this ordeal has come upon you. Your brothers throughout the world are suffering the same things. A sure sign that we are on God's side is the fact we are being persecuted. And that's all the more reason to hold on. So the great persecutor, Saul, is converted. And he becomes Paul, the apostle of Gentiles. Set aside Paul and Barnabas for the task, for the vocation to which I have called them. And so Paul says, I worked harder than any of the others. And he goes through the world like a fire, preaching Christ with conviction and certainty. Are we like that? Are we excited about our faith? Are we willing to share it? Are we ready to go out and tell the whole world, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the savior of the world? That's evangelization. So Paul converts many peoples, whole cities and regions, and he converted the Galatians. 
Now, the devil, as we all know, is a very cunning creature. He corrupts whatever is good. He defiles whatever is holy. And so, he, as God, has his apostles, he has his disciples, he has his agents. And do not think that the apostles and the disciples and the agents of the devil walk around with horns. They do not. They are always the nicest of people. Because they are always concerned about the other person. Did God really say you shouldn't eat any of the fruits of the trees in the garden? I'm concerned about you. God is hiding something from you. You know, eat it. God knows when you eat it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. God is selfish and mean. Or the devil will go to the other extreme and encourage us to abuse the scriptures. Throw yourself down. After all, it is written in the scriptures, the angels will take care of you lest you dash your foot against the stone. No, we have to be very careful. And so these false apostles instigated, insinuated, crept into Galatia after Paul had gone. When the shepherd turns away, then does the wolf come. But as long as the wolf sees the shepherd, he will not approach. And they began to malign Paul and say things about Paul and criticize Paul. After all, who is Paul? He wasn't one of the apostles. He didn't even know Jesus. On the contrary, he persecuted the church. And now he comes to you, Paul, and he says, you don't have to observe the law. No, they said, you must be circumcised. You must observe Sabbaths and holy days. You must observe the Mosaic law if you are to be saved. And the poor, foolish Galatians, that's what St. Paul calls them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The poor Galatians believe these sweet-talking, smooth-talking, gentle-talking imposters. And they began to swerve away from the gospel and all that Paul had taught and began to observe the Jewish rituals. When Paul heard this, he was much vexed. And he writes this beautiful letter. A letter that is straight to the point. A letter that is hard. Because when we see a brother or sister in danger, we should not mince words. And Paul, who is a father, saw his children on the edge of the abyss. How could he be 
anything but firm, direct, and hard because he was concerned about their salvation. He was, in other words, evangelizing. And what does Paul tell us? I say us because we are in the same position as those Galatians today. From Paul to the churches of Galatia. So it's not just one city. But the whole region had been captivated. And from all the brothers who are here with me. Why did he say that? Because those imposters had been saying, Paul is on his own. He is a madman. He has no supporters. He is different from Peter and James and John and the others. And so Paul answers, not so. From Paul to the churches of Galatia and from all the brothers here with me. So he, Paul, is saying, I'm not alone. There are others who believe as I do. And we as Catholics are saying exactly the same thing. Because when I as a Catholic speak, those who are with me, and please God, I speak only the Catholic faith. Those who are with me are all those who went before me. Right back to the apostles. Anything that's new, you better watch it. Examine it, as St. Peter tells us. St. Saint John tells us in his first letter. Be careful, he says. Test it. Test the spirits. St. Paul says the same thing as well in letter to the Hebrews. Test the spirits. So, to all who are with me. An apostle. One who is sent. Therefore equal to the twelve. But he adds something. Who does not owe his authority to men or to his appointment to any human being. So what is he saying? He says, I do not owe my apostolic authority to men. In other words, it was not a man who chose me. Christ Jesus himself. I owe my authority to Christ who through his Holy Spirit said separate Paul and Barnabas and send them. Evangelize. Or his appointment to any human being. In other words, I'm not a second degree apostle. In other words, I received it directly from Christ, from God, and I choose others to follow me as he chose Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and so on. He sent them. These were appointed by men. Because I think there are four ways in which we can be appointed. We can be appointed by God, as Moses was. We can be appointed by a man through God sorry, by God through a man as for instance Aaron was through Moses we can be appointed by a man 
who has the authority, as Paul appointed um, Timothy and Titus and so on, or Peter appointed the, the deacons. Hmm? And last of all, we can appoint ourselves. Isn't that what's happening in our country today? People appoint themselves and set up churches and claim, using the scriptures, which are Catholic, to be sent by God. Where is their authority? Self-made. So Paul says, none of that. I am an apostle equal to the twelve. But, he says, who has been appointed by Jesus Christ and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. So he's claiming an authority equal to the twelve. Now he gets to the heart of the matter. I am astonished at the promptness of which you have turned away from the one who called you and have decided to follow a different version of the good news, of the gospel. Isn't that what's happening among us today? When we look at our churches and see how empty they are, where are the Catholics? Their heirs have heard a different tune and they have turned away from the gospel. They've turned away to a different version of the gospel. There is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. If there is salvation outside the Catholic Church, believe me, I wouldn't be here. Because the life out there is much nicer, humanly speaking. Fidelity to Christ means being fixed to a cross. If you're not fixed to the cross, you have no guarantee you're following Christ. On the day of judgment, Christ will ask you, where are your wounds? Show me the wounds in your hands. Because a disciple is not greater than his master. And if the master has wounds, surely the disciple should have wounds as well. St. Paul says, how could you turn away so quickly? Not that there can be more than one good news. It is merely that some troublemakers among you want to change the good news of Christ. Those false apostles, those disciples of Satan, those imposters. They will not change it completely, but they will add bits or take out bits. And of course, once we add something, or take away something, we've changed it, have we not? But let me warn you, that if anyone preaches a version of the good news different from the one we have already preached to you, whether it be ourselves, if I myself do it, if I contradict myself when preaching the gospel, or even if an angel were to come down from heaven, let him be condemned, let him be accursed, that's what the Apostle is saying. If I contradict myself when preaching Christ Jesus, don't believe me. We have to keep the gospel in its purity. Now when we look around, and especially over the last weekend, week and weekend, we notice that there are some who observe the Sabbath. 
which is a Jewish observance. The same thing Paul is talking about here. He says, these Judaizers came telling you that you must observe the Sabbath, you must be circumcised, you must accept the whole of the Mosaic law, etc. These who believe that we must observe the Sabbath are misguided. They are outside the Church of Christ. They are not the Church Christ founded. They have no means of salvation, except inasmuch as individuals attach themselves to the Catholic Church as these foreigners came into the Temple of Jerusalem. But what we have to admire about them is they believe, even though falsely, they believe what they say. They believe that it is a sin, a serious sin, to violate the Sabbath. And so, they will not buy, they will not sell, they wouldn't be nominated, they do nothing except worship God on the Sabbath. And we have to admire them for that. I do. I admire them for that. Because they live what they believe. What about us Catholics? Do we go shopping on Sundays where the shops are open? So do we believe that Sunday is our day of rest when we should dedicate it entirely to the Lord? Do we believe that? And if we had to do nominations on Sunday, how many people would object? When I was principal of St. Mary's, the Ministry of Sports wanted to have the inter-school sports on a Sunday. And I said, we had this meeting of principals, I said, no. So we had the meeting with the ministry officials. And they were pressing the other principals. And I said, you can have your inter-school sports on Sunday. St. Mary's College will not participate. And so said St. Joseph's Consul, Mr. Farland was there. The two of us said we would not participate. Because we believe that Sunday is the day for the Lord. Not for sports, not for buying, not for selling. It's not a day for any activity except those that, in, that are directly related to God, to his worship, and in particular to family. So we must admire our separated brethren, wrong as they are in their theology, for sticking to their principles. If only we had that strength of faith and character. So St. Paul says, I'm only repeating what we were told, what we told you before. If anyone preaches a version of the gospel different from the one you've already heard, let him be condemned. Who am I trying to please? Men or God? If we try to please God, we will suffer. But our sufferings will be crowned with eternal glory. If we try to please men, we will please half of them and offend the other half. 
and our life will be miserable. And we will be punished at the end as well. Let us be single-minded in our service of God. We have the truth. We have the fullness of truth in our doctrines. Let us learn it, know it, preach it, and live it. God has no favorites. Everyone who with sincerity of heart approaches him is welcome. And so we heard our, our Lord come into Capernaum and some Jews come from a centurion, a Roman soldier, on account of the servant who is sick. Now here is a centurion, an officer, and he is concerned about a servant. We know that in St. Matthew's Gospel, the centurion himself comes, but here St. Luke tells us that in fact the Jews went because they thought they had influence over the Lord. And they said to him, he deserves it, he's worthy because he built us a synagogue. Notice again, because he's done us this, you do that for him. Bargaining with God, come on. He deserves it for you. Because he's friendly to us. And in fact, he's one who's built the synagogue. So Jesus went to them. Not on account of the fact the man built the synagogue, but on account of the centurion. Our Lord, of course, knew the centurion's disposition. But on account of the centurion's faith. He didn't go when the, 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 um, no, the, to the, when the nobleman came and said, my son is sick, come down and heal him. He didn't go. He said, your son is sick. Your son will get well. Go home. But here, a foreigner, God has no favorites, all, all are welcomed by him. He went down, and he's not very far. When the centurion hears the Lord is on the way, he sends messengers, and he says, Lord, do not put yourself to any trouble because I am not worthy to have you under my roof. I'm not worthy. The Jews said he was worthy. He says, I'm not worthy. Whom should we believe? I am not worthy. Which one of us is worthy? I'm not worthy. And that man's faith has made such an impact on the church, that these blessed words are inserted into the Eucharist. Before we receive, behold the Lamb of God, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Say the word, and my soul shall be healed. All the Lord has to do is speak, and it is. But he goes on more. He goes on to show he believed what the Jews themselves did not believe. He says, for I am under authority myself, and I have soldiers under me. He recognizes the hierarchy. I say to, to, to a soldier, go, he goes, now come, he comes, they do what I tell them. You, Lord, is what the centurion is saying. You, Lord, speak, and all creation obeys. If you say to the sickness, go, it will go. If you say to health, come, it comes. Speak, 
and my servant will be healed. And the Lord marvels. Nowhere have I seen such faith as this. Nowhere in Israel. Can the Lord say that about us? Can he say that our faith is like that of the centurion, a foreigner? And we're told when the messengers got back, they found the servant in perfect health. Because the Lord spoke and sickness obeyed. The Lord commanded and health returned. What does the Lord require of us today? Not this Sunday, but from this day onward. He wants from each and every one of us faith, like the faith of this centurion. He wants from us zeal, as the zeal of St. Paul. He wants from us devotion, like that of Solomon, so that we can hear his word, believe his word, live his word, and go out into the whole world preaching his word, so that others will hear. If a preacher doesn't go, how will they hear? Others will hear. And hearing they will believe. And believing they will come to the fullness of faith, which can only be found in the one ark of salvation, the holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We have an obligation, each and every one of us, an obligation given to us in baptism, to evangelize, which means we must know our faith, believe our faith, live our faith, practice our faith, share our faith. If we don't do this, our faith will be taken from us. Name the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Mm-hmm.